Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 14, Robbers, Giants, and One Ticket to Carney Town. As always, I am one half of the hosting duo. I'm Aaron Sagers. You might know me from Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel, Paranormal Paparazzi, ParanormalPopCulture.com. And I am joined by my cohort, my colleague, my co-host, my codependent paranormal nerd. <laughs> Brit, am I codependent? Is that how you would describe me? I don't think so. I was just looking for other co-words. Cohort. Cohort. Compadre. Oh, I like that. Colleague. Yeah. Co-conspirator? Yes, perfect. People, and if you're listening to this, send us your other co-words. Yep. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But and we can cooperate together. <laughs> so, but wait. But first, let's do the news. Oh, we yeah. have to dive into that. So, the news... But first, the news. I like saying it like that. What What's your news article for the day? So my news article for the day, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to trump the Sasquatch selling the home. Like that's just perfection. Um, but this week, we are going back to California for the weird, my weird news. And we're going to San Francisco. Um, and the Golden Gate Bridge just installed these new like panels, the metal bike panel lane what what did i just say the (laughs) i don't know but i'm i'm following well i'm not really following but i'm being supportive oh goodness guys i took my hr exam yesterday it's 6 30 in the morning and i'm exhausted but i passed so bear with me but the bike lane in the golden gate san francisco installed new metal panels for safety and like bridge restoration. But now when the wind blows a certain way, it now plays music. It like howls, it hums, and people have been blowing up the San Francisco helpline. They're like 311 number because people are hysterical and like going crazy over having this constant hum in their ears and you can hear it all over. So like there's people at the land's end, that part of the island that are hearing it like miles away. So I think that's pretty crazy. 
is it playing a certain song is it like rick rolling the people that are driving across the golden gate bridge it would be awesome if it was something specific but no it's just like this super eerie like like weird hum so So not not a bridge over troubled water it's not a bridge but that would be awesome but i'm curious what the alcatraz prisoners think if someone we know as a journalist and could get them on the horn they gotta hear it what do they gotta say about it well alcatraz is no longer an active prison what yeah (laughs) i've been there how did i not know that yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a tourist destination, but no I've longer... literally been there a few years ago. Why did I just say that? I'm such an idiot. You're you're not an idiot. You're <laughs> I'm just exhausted. <laughs> just yeah, you know. Sometimes you just assume a jail is still open, even though it hasn't been open in several decades. I literally anyhow, went in a cell. <laughs> yeah, as a prisoner or as a tourist? As a tourist, as a prisoner, okay. guys. I have a confession to make. There's typically. The way you know you're a tourist at a jail is you can leave. And and so... Don't have to tunnel your way out. Important distinction. Important question. Do you think those prisoners swim across are still alive? Well, wasn't... uh, How many actually got across? Three. Well, two. I think they know for sure. I don't know. But I personally think it was, yes. some, it was a long time ago that that they escaped. So maybe they're dead now, but I would not be surprised if they I think they survived, survived for a while. Yeah. What's your weird well, news? Also related to a body of water. However, instead of the bridge, this is about a monster. We're going over to Scotland for my weird news item about the Loch Ness Monster. <gasps> yes. Right. So, spoiler, she still hasn't been seen, at least not recently. But what you can do is, if you've ever thought, you know what, I I think I could really find Nessie. Just give me a crack at it. Let me take a look at the water. I'll find her. I, I will prove that Nessie exists. All I need to do is go to Loch Ness. Well, you sort of can now, because... There is the website Nessie on the Net. It's a it's a site dedicated to researching and spotting the Loch Ness monster, and you too can now keep an eye on the lake anywhere, anytime via a 24-hour live stream that's broadcast from a hilltop property overlooking the the lake in the Scottish Highlands. It also offers a really nice view of like a sheep's pasture. Occasionally Lovely. you'll see a sheep. Oh my yeah. God. It's, it's, it's actually like, quite peaceful. Totally. That's like a nice thing if you work from home to like have that just pulled up on like a separate computer and just have it be like your calming moment. And then maybe right. you see Nessie. Well, chances are good that if you're, you're probably making coffee or, or not paying attention to the live stream at the time that Nessie pokes Always, her head out. Always, isn't it? But, yep. But it is, it's fairly calm water, so if you do notice something popping out of there, you'll probably probably notice it if you're watching at the right time. So this is definitely a big leap forward as far as uh, investigation of Nessie, because the first sighting of Nessie goes back to the 6th century, and then there's been multiple sightings throughout the years, and of course there was the 1933 uh, photo that was made famous, which was then pretty easily debunked. So who knows? Maybe maybe people out there can find their own proof of Nessie. And I want to give a shout out to mentalfloss.com, great site, for turning me on to this particular story and letting me know that I can go I can go check out. I actually when I lived in Scotland many, many years ago I did visit Loch Ness. I've probably told this story before. And I went for a swim in it, very briefly. It was quite cold. Didn't did I know that you lived in Scotland? I don't know what you know. I don't know if I knew that. How long I've did you mention there it for? Only about a year. Huh. But it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we're going to dive into 
our first story. But first, how about how about a word from some of our sponsors? Uh, like we have so many. Uh, we're going to talk about Madame Morbid. Madame Morbid's trolley tours. Now, I've asked this question a couple times. going to ask it again. Britt, is Brooklyn one of the most haunted places in America? Who knows? Good answer. It is a worthwhile question. And it's a good question for our podcast, because this podcast, Nightmarica, is brought to you by Brooklyn's one and only mobile ghost tour. That's Madame Morbid's Trolley Tours. It is the official haunted tour of Nightmarica. Madame Morbid's Victoria-era funeral-inspired trolley is the best way to cruise around Brooklyn and learn all about its haunted history, as well as some true crime. They are currently off the road. They've been social distancing and chasing ghosts. However, they're probably close to reopening now that New York City is Mm -hmm. phasing opening. But they do have gift cards available. So when they reopen, you can buy those gift cards and then go check out the tour. So be sure to check out MadamMorbid.com and give them a follow at MadamMorbidNYC to support your local ghost tour. And by the way, the answer is yes. Well, according to them, Brooklyn is haunted. I can't independently verify, but I think it's a pretty good bet. I mean, so. I probably can independently verify. Once when we were recording, the lights in your apartment flickered. So I feel like that means Brooklyn is haunted. That is pretty solid evidence right <laughs> there. It's a good bet. I just haven't taken the ghosts, uh, a, a ghost census to find out. So who knows? Who knows? So we're going to talk a little bit about things related to carnivals today. Mm-hmm. Did you go to, did you ever go to, to carnivals or carnies uh, when you were either living abroad or here? There's, yeah. They're separate from theme parks. They're separate they're from not... theme parks. We did touch on, I touched on this a little bit during our amusement park episode that like the carnies in Europe are super sad. There's like weirdly drugged animals and like children having to do weird things like tightrope walk and stuff like that so the carnivals in europe are really sad um but when we moved to america i was in seventh grade so i haven't been to any like american carnivals because i kind of like outgrew the age for them i think and there's like not a ton of carnivals in chicago but you've been to carnivals i've been to carnivals a lot of the things i went to when i was younger would be typically classified as state fairs mm. which i think are very close to carnivals Did i may you get have like a this... fried snickers bar state no that wasn't I, I, I have had that but that was not something i encountered until later in life and oddly and oddly enough living in scotland in glasgow they have these fried mars bars which oh, are, are famous there but for me I don't know if I mentioned this story before, but I don't have a fear of clowns that some people do. I I can find them quite creepy. What is it? Cholerophobia, maybe? Is that the name of it? I I don't have a fear of clowns like some people do. However, I do recall being a child going to a carnival and having my face painted Mm -hmm. as uh, as a clown and then seeing it in a mirror or a picture Mm -hmm. that was taken of me and being like freaking out, like being terrified, not liking that I suddenly looked like this other (laughs) thing, hated it, hated it. And, and I hated the feel of the makeup on my face. The whole, whole thing didn't care for it. So (gasps) that's my takeaway from, from carnivals. And I've also been to Coney Island. So, which is not a carnival, but it's, it's, it's close. They have. I've never been. That's Island. like the top of my New York to do list. It was what I wanted to do this summer is go to Coney Island at some point. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can still go. But mm-hmm. anyhow, so that's my uh, carnival story going into this. But what's the what what tale are you bringing to our Nightmaricans today? So Nightmaricans, my story is crazy. Um, so stay with me. But the, we're about to go on like a legit crazy carny coaster right now. 
Um, I am telling the story of Elmer McCurdy, who was born in 1880 uh, to a single woman, the scandal in 1880. Um, and she was embarrassed to have her child out of wedlock. So she actually got her brother to adopt him and raise him as his own because the brother was married. Um, but as a teen, his adopted father passed away and his mother came back into the picture and told him that she was his actual mother. So like Ted Bundy and Charles Manson, already his life is like starting out on a rough note. Um, after this, after his teen years, he became a really heavy drinker. Um, he was a plumber and in 1898, he actually lost his job due to drinking, um, and had to just kind of move across the country trying to find work. In 1910, he decided to move on to a new career venture as some of us are in life. Uh, and he decided to become a bank robber and a train robber. So he and some buddies robbed an Iron Mountain Pacific train because he heard there was $4,000 on board. Uh, They stopped the train, found the safe, uh, and because he had experience using nitroglycerin, he decided to use that to bust it open. However, little Elmer used way too much and ended exploding the safe and burning all of the money inside of it. Um, That's rookie move for a bank safe cracker, I guess. Yep. Uh, There were $450 of silver coins in there. Uh, Despite being mostly melted, he was able to pry them off of the exploded safe and they took him, they took them, but you have to imagine his buddies were probably pretty pissed. So a year later, he and two other friends decided to rob a bank in Kansas. Um, They start this by breaking into the back wall with a hammer, which took two hours uh, like if you hear someone breaking into, like tapping into your wall for two hours, you're not going to see what's going on anyway. Um, Elmer decided to hit the outer wall of the vault with nitroglycerin. Again, they're letting this dude use this. Uh, he used too much. Of course he exploded the door, but to the outer safe, but they were still able to get inside to the inner safe. However, Elmer had used way too much nitroglycerin outside and they had completely run out by the time they got to the inside vault and they couldn't open it. So they just took a hundred dollars in gold coins that was sitting outside of the safe and ran away. (laughs) Okay. Um, His final act of crime was in October of 1911 When he and two other accomplices, apparently there's like no shortage of dudes that will do crimes with this idiot, um, decide to rob a bank that had $400,000 on it in 1911. It had $400,000. That's $12 million in today dollars. So, I mean, what kind of train carries that much cash? Anyway, so they thought they could do this. Uh, Spoiler alert, they couldn't. They ended up stopping the wrong train and getting on board that, attacking the people on the train, and all they walked off with was $46 and two bottles of whiskey. Wow. (laughs) These guys are doofuses. Such doofuses. Um, But we aren't even at the carnival yet, so how does that happen? He got caught by the sheriffs as they were walking away from the train, and he got shot in the chest and died. So because no one in the area knew him, he was brought to an undertaker there in Pawhuska, Oklahoma at this point. So he was taken to an undertaker there and the undertaker propped him up in a corner uh, after preserving his body and charged people a nickel to come in and look at him. Uh, Two carnival promoters heard about this story and they went to this undertaker and claimed to be his brother's. And took his body, but then, of course, put him on display as the embalmed bandit at the Great Patterson Carnival Show. So, it's a traveling carnival, and they had him on display in each of these towns until 1922. His embalmed body toured the country for 11 years. 
until they ended yeah. up selling him to another carnival guy named Lewis Sonny, who decided to change up how people would view Elmer now. And they re- he required p- attendees of his carnival to buy tickets. And then they had to put the ticket in Elmer's dead mouth as a payment to see him. I love it. Like, where's the respect for this dude? Well, so- to be fair, he wasn't a very respectable dude. And he was a terrible criminal. He probably made more money as a corpse than he made as a, as a bandit. Well, that's very true. Um, so after being in Lewis Sony's carnival, he ended up being sold to four different carnivals over the years and until 1976, which is 65 years after his death, the $6 million man TV show was filming an episode called the carnival of spies, uh, at the long beach carnival and the ride, the laugh in the dark. And during the shoot, a prop man decided to move a wax mannequin to the side, only to discover when he moved the body that the arm fell off and it exposed human bone and muscle tissue. So immediately they called the police, and thanks to Lewis Sonny making them put tickets in his mouth, they were able to like examine Elmer's body, find this ticket stub, and connect the dots to realize that this was Elmer McCurdy. They thought like it was just a carnival prop until then. So in April of 1977, he was finally laid to rest in the Guthrie Cemetery in Oklahoma where he was shot. And to make sure his body would never be taken again, they poured two feet of concrete on top of the casket. That's one way to keep him down. Yeah. And that's the life story of Elmer McCurdy, who had more of a life after death. What, what year was he first put into service as a, as a carny sideshow? 1911. 1911. Interesting. Yeah. I love, I love these tales of these carnival exhibits because, and we'll be talking about this for the Patreon exclusive mini-sode, which you guys should check out our Patreon and subscribe mm-hmm. if you want to hear it. But there's so many exhibits out there. There are these weird stories of things that were passed off as real monsters or artifacts from another time or you know there's things like the Fiji mermaid I don't know if you've ever heard of that no. but that's a pretty famous one and yeah it's it's pretty cool you can find some cool images online about it but it was essentially this stitched together creature I think it was a monkey uh, made to look oh. like a mermaid and passed off to look like a mermaid so the and that was P.T. Barnum that was behind that. But anyhow, so the the history of these odd exhibits, I love it. I love it so much. And, and that's actually connected to what my story is going to be. But before we get to that, let's get another word from another sponsor. So as we record this, we're still in the midst of a pandemic still quarantining and if you think things have been bad during this trust us trust us at nightmarica it could be worse don't believe me then you should read dead run dead run the new sci-fi thriller from author mike maddox a mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive and if you cannot keep running you blow up you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long this is the ad copy this is not my wording so you know it's true because they wrote it you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long no no hint of hyperbole from me on that (laughs) story follows a group of weary survivors as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule so you know what the rule is right you gotta run to stay alive that's pretty much the rule they put it more succinctly run or die oh okay because 
saying you want to if you have a rule in a in the apocalypse you want to keep it very short and succinct sure. so you know say like first you want to stretch and then you want to make certain that you you know, limber up and then no Get no a nice run or die spaghetti dinner yeah. beforehand yeah it goes straight to it run or die so this is exactly why we should all be jogging every day if we can and you know using our carbs effectively so <laughs> dead run available only exclusively on amazon kindle dead run by mike maddox it's only like three bucks too so it's a it's a uh, a good read for a good price so check that out dead run nightmarica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor manscaped and to talk about the men's grooming kits we have a really big fan of manscaped but not a man a sasquatch from the florida everglades let's welcome skunk ape to the show thanks for joining mr ape oh skunk is fine just fine that's uh that's what my friends call me even though you're an elusive cryptid you're able to have a social life Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow, galon. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, Squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop whoop! That's what that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs, but not with this lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquatchicles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology, it does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the squatch code. You gotta stay undercover, you know. I can even groom up my squashticles in the middle of the night because it's got an LED light on it so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped ball deodorant to, to make the squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the ball toner to freshen up when skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you flowers instead of skunky. Well, skunky, if you or your squash buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. No, no, it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped. The right tools for the job. And let's dive into my story. It's it's interesting, I think we've mentioned before on the podcast, that we plan these things. We do, even though sometimes it may not seem like it. We do actually <laughs> plan these episodes we out. Do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost feel like we should act like we don't. So that way, when we come across looking we really look professional, better. it's yeah, yeah, right. But no, we, we do, we do plan a little bit, but we don't know one another's stories most of the time. But then there's this interesting crossover. So you have a story of 
a man, a corpse that was turned into this exhibit, a real man that many people assumed was probably fake. Yeah. And I have sort of the opposite story. So this is the story of the Cardiff Giants. It's one of my favorite stories out there, and it's a true bit of history. And we're going to flash back 153 years ago, 1867. And we're talking about the latter half of the 19th century after the Industrial Revolution, where the nation is entering into the Gilded Age. So this is a time of great prosperity and uh, economic growth. And interestingly, people, many people are still maintaining a lot of religious beliefs. However, it was also a time of hoaxes where people were trying to put one over on another person. And so hoaxes were kind of big at this time. And this is perhaps the biggest hoax of American history. So let's go back to 1867. George Hull is a cigar maker. He's also an atheist, a skeptic, and apparently a bit of a bit of a card because he was... Is this how you found the story? Because you love a cigar. No, I do love a cigar. No, this story, this has been one of my favorite stories for years. I, I first wrote about this story probably... 10 years ago, but George Hull got into an argument with a revivalist preacher, so the story goes. And the revivalist preacher was citing, it was a Methodist reverend, I guess, citing the chapter in Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, that states, giants once roamed the earth. Now, this preacher took it as a literalist, took it literally. The books of, book of Genesis said there were giants that roamed the earth, said it had to be so. So George Hull got to thinking. And as an atheist, but as also, you know, a entrepreneur and a bit of a prankster, he thought he might be able to pull one over on this preacher and maybe even make some money doing it. So over the next two years, Hull spent $3,000 of his own money to bring a giant to life. And so that was that was about fifty thousand dollars in that lot. day's times. Yeah. So he traveled to Iowa, he secured a five ton block of gypsum, said that it was going it's a stone, uh claimed that it was going to be used to create a statue of Abraham Lincoln. Hull then took this this slab to Chicago, and this marble dealer, Hull actually posed as a model, but this marble dealer and these sculptors carved this stone into this, this fake giant, this anthropological wonder. So the statue is looks like a naked man lying on his back, somewhat twisted, his arms over his stomach and the workers poured acid on the exterior of this thing to make it look aged and eroded mm. and whole used pins to replicate skin pores and when it was done this this giant was 10 feet tall and four and a half inches 10 10 feet and four and a half inches tall and it weighed 2,000 990 pounds. Jeez. It's big. Yeah, it's really big. Big. So, okay. So now Hull has his giant, and, and it looked good. But what's he do with it? Okay, he now goes back to Cardiff, New York. And in Cardiff, he had a relative named William Stubb. Newell. Stubb is a great nickname. I'm going to maybe adopt that. So I'm going to call you Stubb. Stubb. Stubby. Stubb. Stubster. Stubby is not a very fortunate nickname. No, Stubby isn't. Stubster. <laughs> like you want me to Stubber call you Stubby. Stubberino. Stubb. Anyhow, so Stubb and Hull kind of, Hull pulls him in on the deal. And 
on November 1868, Hull buries this giant near Stubbs Farm. Farm, and they put it under roots and everything to make it look like it had been under the uh, under the earth, mm-hmm. under the dirt for a long, Smart. long time. Hull goes back to his home. He lived in Binghamton, New York. Goes about a cigar business. A year passes. This thing's underground for a year. And October 16th, 1869, Stubb decides he's going to dig a well near his barn, near this this site. So he hires these workers to dig a well. And, it, you know, looking back, it was actually not a really great place to put a well. So someone should have noticed that. But anyhow, these guys, whatever, they're taking the money. They start digging a well. And then they find this body, this this massive giant under the ground. Bum, bum, bum. And word, word spreads fast. And according to the Syracuse Journal in 1869, quote, men left their work. Women caught up their babies and children's in numbers all hurried to the scene where the interest of that little community centered. So Cardiff already had a history of fossil deposits. So people thought that this was an ancient man who had been petrified in the waters by a nearby swamp or an ancient swamp. And then there was, I believe, Stubb said, uh, you know, whatever, I'm going to just rebury this thing and forget about it. They're like, no, 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 you have to, you have to display this. This is, in fact, evidence of Genesis. It's true. So this, this prehistoric man now was considered a new wonder of the world, a singular discovery by the newspapers at the time, like the Syracuse Daily Journal. And crowds, as they came, they wanted to see it. So what happened is they covered the giant with a white tent, and they start charging 50 cents for admission. And I think that was about maybe four bucks or something of that day's, uh, maybe close to five bucks of that that time's money. So 50 cents for admission. And people came. They came in, in droves. And people tried to buy the giant off of stub because nobody knew who nobody knew hole was involved at this moment Mm. turned him down turned him down eventually they did sell this giant for thirty thousand dollars and again for for perspective yeah when they sold that for thirty thousand dollars that was or or close to thirty thousand dollars it was about four hundred and sixty five thousand dollars so this was a, a syndicate. They sold it to a syndicate of five guys. And those guys then decide that they're going to tour around with this thing. Now, at this point, people, level-headed people were also saying this is a load of bunk. There was a geologist named James Hall and a Rochester University professor named Henry Ward. And, oh, and actually, no, I, I'm wrong. Those guys actually did say that this is a remarkable object. However, other scientists said this is this is bunk. This is just uh, Charles Marsh was the one that said this is a most decided humbug, which I love that word. Humbug. I love the word humbug. Yeah. And it's not not as good as triflers. Oh, but was that Belle, was that your word? Girl. Triflers. Yeah. yeah. So. OK, so they're touring this thing around. They're making money. They're making bank. Well, who shows up? Showman P.T. Barnum. Now, I mentioned him earlier with the P.G. Mm-hmm. Mermaid. He knew how to put on a show. So he showed up and he offered to buy this thing. And this is sort of, you know, it is it is now essentially a carnival. It's a it's a road show. P.T. Barnum shows up. He wants to buy it and he wants to display it. But they say no. They're like, no, we're making so much money on this thing. Why would we do that? No. So what does P.T. Barnum do? This is this is like so awesome. P.T. Barnum makes his own giant. He builds an exact replica and he displays it at a museum in Manhattan. And he says this is the real Cardiff giant, the real giant, not a fake like that other thing. And he runs ads. What is it? 
said the ad. Is it a statue? Is it a petrification? Is it a stupendous fraud? Is it the remains of a former race? Drew, huge crowds, outsold the original, and, and making a ton of money off of it. However, what's that do? That then pisses off the guys mm-hmm. that currently own it. And, and along the way, other people are making forgeries as well. Uh, but it was P.T. Barnum that was making a lot of money. And even at this time, the Philadelphia Inquirer, which a lot of people were openly calling this thing fake, both of them fake, the Philadelphia Inquirer said it's it's rather rich that we should be victimized by such a fraud upon a fraud. But again, the guys that own it are pissed off. So what do they do? They sue P.T. Barnum. And, and at this point, Hull, who now has a ton of money, kind of is open about the fact that this was a hoax. And people who had been on the case kind of exposed him as this, but no, you know, people love a good story. So they believe it anyhow. But at this point there was this lawsuit and the syndicate of businessmen, Sue P.T. Barnum. And that leads to this court case. And the court case is that they're stealing our work and this and it's it's a fraud. However, the ultimate re- revelation or result of this court case is how can you sue for a fraud of a fraud? And mm. out of all of this, yeah, and and out of all of this is this the famous quote that's associated with P.T. Barnum. There's a sucker born every minute. It's actually it's not a P.T. Barnum quote, but it is connected to Barnum and it's co- connected to the. Cardiff Giant, it was actually said, uttered by a man named David Hunnam, who was talking about the Cardiff Giant. It wasn't a P.T. Barnum quote. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, this thing was, it it survived for a while, making a lot of money. And by 1880, it had fallen out of favor, and it was then condemned to storage in a barn in Massachusetts. And at that point, it seems like it would have slipped from from memory. Mm-hmm. And George Hull actually went on to, to one-up himself because apparently it wasn't enough to get one good hoax out of it. He tried to bury another giant in Colorado, which everybody everybody was on to. Like, okay, dude, like, yes, you found yeah, two giants. Yeah, uh, So anyhow, he didn't, he didn't quite succeed with that one. But... So the Cardiff Giant, however, was eventually purchased. It it moved around the carnival circuit once more. And then it ended up at the Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown, New York, which is also the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And and that is currently where it lies. It is at it's on display at the Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown, New York, and you can go check it out. And I highly advise that you do because this thing, this, the story of the Cardiff Giant was so big at the time that Mark Twain wrote about Whoa. it. Oh, Frank Baum. Book. Uh, Huck Finn? Yeah, I hate that book. I'm sorry, oh. America. It's okay. Well, <laughs> he's no he's JD still, Salinger. He did, he still, well, he still he did he wrote more than J.D. Salinger, but at least more notable things. Anyhow, Mark Twain wrote about it in sort of a humorous essay talking about the ghost of the Cardiff Giant haunting him. So that's like paranormal on top of paranormal. It was a it was a, a humorous essay though. And then even L. Frank Baum, the uh, mm. the author of mm-hmm. the Wonderful Wizard of Oz, wrote about it as well, and it came to his attention. So this thing really just captured the attention of so many people all because all because George Hull just kind of wanted to be a prankster and a dick and show up a, a revivalist preacher and, and take him for a ride. So I think that that's, that's like a pretty excellent piece of American history and the greatest hoax of American history. It is. I have several questions. Yes. Does this feel to you the way that Bell Gunnis feels to me 
because he's a prankster that wants to take down some crazy religious person and he loves cigars. Like, does it feel very at home for you? You mean, am I George Hull? Yeah. Like the way I love Bell Gunnis, do you love this dude? I love this story because even at this time of the Gilded Age, I think, and I think you could draw parallels to what's going on to, to modern times. People see what they want to see. Mm-hmm. And so for those who were believers, they could look at the Cardiff giant as proof of the literal word of the Bible. But for scientists and skeptics, it was obviously a fraud and it was a joke. And then the people that did believe in it were fools for believing in it. Mm-hmm. So, and, and when you look at this thing now, you might be, you might think, well, that's obviously just a statue of sculpture, but the lead up to all of it was so impressive. And at that time, finding it, even though science wasn't what it is now, but science was advancing, but people could easily buy that this was a petrified man. So Yeah, that's what it, I'm wondering. Is it bones or it's like a full body? You, the image, it, it's a full body. It's a full hmm. body. It's not, it's not just bones. You can see some rib cage. You can also see his, the Cardiff Giants, giant, Cardiff, a giant? if you will. Well, he's 10 feet tall, so proportionately, it's quite the large. I'm here to tell you, not all men are proportionate. Okay. Well, I'm here to take you at your word, but... <laughs> Yeah, he has. He's got a wang. He's got a. He's got a petrified dick. And <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, like, how do people not? I'm trying to pull up a picture now, but my internet's slow. How if it's like you're a body... like petrified dick? Tap 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 tap. I have to look this up. Stat. <gasps> okay, Where I'm looking at it now. He kind of twists his legs like he's right. like reclining. How do? How did people not realize this is fake? Because, again, people believe what they wanted to believe. Mm. The The New York Daily Tribune ran a front-page story about the giant. It, it got national attention. The Chicago Tribune wrote about it. I think they were debunking it. The, the Philadelphia Inquirer, this was something that captured the attention of people for a couple years. Yeah, the Chicago Tribune published an expose on it. They included – I mean, it was so – it was – it captured so many imaginations that they – did investigative journalism, investigative journalism to hunt down the the truth. And they actually got the confessions from the stone workers who carved it under Hull's guidance. So, yeah, I mean, the, but it still made money. Hmm. And, yeah, people believe what they want to believe. But on top of that, even though I do like cigars and I like larger than life characters, I don't I, I am. Amused by George Hull, however, I don't really like the notion of pulling off hoaxes like this. Yeah. This is not that's not really where I fit. I find it interesting though, and I I think that this is just such a even though this was 151 years ago that they first discovered the the giant itself. I think you could easily make something happen to some sort of parallel to today when people see the face of Jesus in in their toast, toast. or yeah. or whatever it may be. People are going to believe what they want to believe, and I think that even extends to look. Go on Facebook. Look at look yep. at the misinformation that is oh, that is outwardly dangerous and easily spread without people fact checking it. So, in some yeah. ways, people. People never change. So, yep. speaking of anyhow. outwardly dangerous, um, for our female listeners, uh, I'm looking up pictures of the Cardiff Giant. Uh, Dad, you might want to fast forward like 15 seconds. Um, but the Weens goes down about mid thigh. So, in case anyone you, was curious, you say Weens plural? There's only one Ween. Well, it's just one one Ween, but Weens sounds you know better. I think. Okay, I guess so. 
So all those listeners out there, if you don't like Ween's Petrified Dick or Cardiff Giants Giant Cardiff, then you too can help with the Nightmarica contest. Submit your favorite name for the Cardiff Giants Phallus. And you can win. I don't know what they win. You can win a... (laughs) I don't know. We'll figure something out. I used to have a magnet of the Cardiff Giant on my refrigerator. I might still have it somewhere. And uh, otherwise, you would have seen his weans earlier when you first came to my house. So anyhow, that's the story of Cardiff Giant, uh, a carnival tale. And interestingly, a nice compliment to your story because... Yeah. Yeah. Dead man. We... So, go on. No, I was just going to say, we probably should tell each other what our stories are going to be. Otherwise, we're going to roll up someday. Or we need like a secret keeper. Like we tell one person and then they can say like, no, you can't do that story. Well, if enough people subscribe to this podcast and we get some ad revenue and all of that, that's when we can hire an intern and a separate producer and then a secret keeper. I I would say a secrets keeper is probably producer, intern, secrets keeper. (laughs) I think once you get to secrets keeper, you know you found success in the podcast world. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Which is why all of you out there should, should tell people about this podcast and spread it around to your friends and neighbors and yeah. and whatnot safely at a social distance. But with that said, let's check in for some paranormal pop culture and what we are into in the entertainment world this week. Do you want to go first? Sure. I'm super excited now that my HR test is done and I can do things that are fun. I am going back to reading a book by Tana French. Uh, I'm sure any of my like mystery, true crimey book nerds know Tana French's name. She's really beloved in like the mystery community. I'm reading a book called The Witch Elm, um, which is one of her really well-known books. And I'm like probably about halfway done with it. And she's just such an interesting author because I'm so used to reading like mystery books that are like you know, like Riley Sager's books where like, you can't put them down. And, you know, every page turn has some twist or turn to the story. Tana French is just a really beautiful author. And the fact that she weaves this whole background story before ever even getting to the crime in question. Um, So it's also just a really good book. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to finally be reading like, good literature and not just like, HR laws. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what yeah, about not you really. what's, what's yours H- hr laws i suppose could be good literature if they i mean there's some like really interesting one like there's one the gina act it's like the genetic information act um where like the military can't not hire you because of like what your genetic information says Like, there's this whole thing about the military, like, has to hire you even if, like, your genetic information says weird information. I don't know. There's a lot of weird stuff out there that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I am going in a different direction. One thing I want to say is going back to Cardiff Giant. I do want to, even though I've done a lot of my own research on this, I do want to give credit to history.com and livescience.com and the Smithsonian Mag. Dot com. They were all additional resources for this and added some more color to a story that I've already known and loved for many years. But I digress after digressing. So for me, I am still in the early stages of reading it. However, there is a Bigfoot book of fiction out there. It is called de-evolution or devolution a first-hand account of the rainier sasquatch massacre and it is written massacre sasquatch massacre as in the the sasquatch massacring other people but uh, i assume i'm still in the early stages however so this is written by max brooks and if you don't know max brooks max brooks is a great guy worked with him uh, a couple times in the past on like comic-con panels and 
he is best known for essentially launching the modern zombie wave. He is a big mm-hmm. fan of George Romero's zombies, but he wrote World War Z in the Zombie Survival Guide. And so he, he became quite famous for that. And now he's moving into the world of Bigfoot and the setup for this. I love World War Z, the book. Not so much the movie, but I love, love, love the book. Love the audio play of it. It's great, great listening, great reading. And with this, he sort of takes that similar pseudo-factual documentarian style approach and there are elements within the book that are actually factual, like Teddy Roosevelt in 1893 wrote about his own experience with a potential Sasquatch. That did what? happen. That actually, yes, that, that did actually happen. So he Brooks includes real factual footnotes and then interviews with a park ranger, things like that. But then we have sort of this fictional account told through the diary of a missing woman who was part of this this sort of hippie community that apparently encountered a a terrible Sasquatch situation. So anyhow, that and that's set in Mount Rainier. So yeah, uh, I'm in the early stages, but I'm quite enjoying it. And it also reminded me as I'm reading this. So there's not a whole lot of not not a ton of good Bigfoot fiction out there. There's been some attempts. True. There's Harry and the Hendersons. There's a bunch of uh, fun horror movies out there. But you can't talk about Bigfoot fiction without talking about Bigfoot erotica. Have you ever heard of Bigfoot erotica? <laughs> no. Well, I'm going to tell you all about it. Oh my God, Dad, please stop listening. The episode ended. (laughs) I'm not going to read Bigfoot erotica. I'm just going to talk about it. Yeah, I'm going to read my own Bigfoot erotica. (laughs) Don't act like you haven't written any. I'm using this podcast as a chance to really launch (laughs) my career as a Bigfoot erotica author. No, but it is a thing. This might be the funniest thing or picture ever. it, It really is a thing. Like, I first wrote about... Bigfoot erotica. I did not write it. I wrote about Bigfoot erotica back in 2014 because there was there was a woman or an author named Virginia Wade who wrote a story, some Bigfoot erotica stories that were actually published in Penthouse and ended up being a three volume, 16 book Bigfoot erotica opus, a magnum opus, a, 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 a big foot opus. And she was making something like $30,000 a month in Kindle, Amazon Kindle downloads. This is, this is going back to 2014. I don't know what she's making now. She, and her book was downloaded. The, the one book in 2012 was downloaded more than a hundred thousand times. So there's a lot of people that are into the Bigfoot erotica now, <laughs> but the and I think even Anne Rice commented on it that she was what? in awe of how much how much money uh, that this Bigfoot erotica was was making. I will give you one quote from from Virginia Wade's story. There's more to this too. I don't know. I'm springing this on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. This might be my favorite thing we've ever talked about on the podcast ever. The a quote from one of the books the. <laughs> it's been it was it was it was translated into german i mean it was so successful this way was able to oh put God. her daughter through college and and all that good stuff she was even interviewed by business can she inside. please be a guest on the podcast please yeah we'll so, be professional we promise so the one story i think it was come for bigfoot was the name of one of the books <laughs> but the and i'm not even joking Virginia Wade's story was about two Sasquatches named Leonard and Dale, and they have a uh, a thing with a, a human lover. And one quote from one such experience was, quote, Our mornings always began like this, my warm body buzzing with arousal, 
my Sasquatch lovers who had an almost insatiable appetite for sex would pleasure me shortly. From within the tufts of matted hair, the creature released a huge pale bleep that defied logic. So, you know. So they were in a plural relationship too. Very, very like of the moment. Sasquatches don't follow our our societal <laughs> constraints. Anyhow, that that was what I was thinking about, but there was two years ago two years ago there was a congressional race in Virginia. It was the Virginia's fifth congressional district between Denver Riggleman, who was a Republican, and Leslie Cockburn. Yeah, oh well God. both of them are a good name. And Leslie Cockburn. Names. And things got nasty in this congressional race because the Democratic candidate, Leslie Cockburn, accused her Republican opponent, Riggleman, of, quote, being a devotee of Bigfoot erotica. And she went on to say, this is not what we need on Capitol Hill. So what is it with Republicans being into weird sex stuff? That led to a revelation that Riggleman indeed wrote a story called, he was a co-author of a book called Bigfoot Exterminators, Inc., the partially cautionary, mostly true tale of monster hunt, of a monster hunt in 2006. He also wrote Mating Habits of Bigfoot and Why Women Want Him, so that's a must read. I need to pick that one up. You do. Okay, I learned from Bigfoot. Yeah. But yeah, indeed, he was a author of of some wow. Bigfoot erotica. erotica. He would talk about Sasquatch's junk on his own social media. Wow. And he, yeah, so. So uh, what's your Sasquatch erotica pen name? Stubbs McCockburn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, for the Scottish audience. Because I, I really like, and the McCockburn makes it classy. It does. But Stubbs McCockburn, yes. That'll also be the name when like I... I'm going to like a t-shirt that says Stubbs McCockburn. For Congress. Yeah. So, this just took a weird turn. I... <laughs> it did take a weird turn, but I love it. Well, I was just, as I've been reading this book, Max Brooks's book, it's it's a good book. But I can't help but think about bigfoot literature and literature i don't know maybe i'll get further into max's book and i'll get some hot bigfoot sexy time happening so please report back for next week's paranormal pop culture i can't tell you how long i could continue talking about this topic because i know way too much about (laughs) maybe we should do a mini on on this based on how much i've written about it in the past for paranormalpopculture.com there's there was some pretty cheeky fun stuff. So there's also alien, alien erotica. There's all sorts of erotica, but anyhow, Hey, look, whatever, as long as it's consensual between the humans, the Bigfoot, the aliens, we're all about consensual. We're all about it, man. Paranormal sex. Yeah. You know, um, cryptids, aliens, whatever, as long as they, they're cool with it. We're cool with it. So we're cool with it. And that's the story for me and Stubbs this week. Yeah, Stubbs McCockburn coming at you live <laughs> from Nightmerica. <gasps> oh, great. If you like Nightmerica, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Nightmerica and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends. And if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice which is for entertainment purposes only email nightmericashow at gmail.com
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.